read to you some verses uh, from Matthew's Gospel. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy to let go and hate other people and see them as enemies. Speak to us today and reframe things for us, that we might live creatively in your will and for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. An eye for an eye. Payback. Revenge, which is a dish best served cold. We say these things with such a cold joy sometimes, don't we? Or maybe we tone down the language a little bit because it doesn't sound quite right. If we don't say it out loud, I don't think it matters who you are. I think we think it. It happens in our minds. Having an enemy of one kind or another is common to every single one of you and to me as well. And our thought life, not just our outward words, but our thought life and what's going on in our head can consume us with how, how badly we think we've been wronged, hurt, humiliated or had our rights impinged on. And you know what? We may be uh, justified in thinking that too. We may have been hurt in some way. It can be like a TV commercial and it just keeps being played over again and again in your mind and every time you think about how you might have been wronged or that person that's in your mind's eye... You just get madder and madder and madder. And the thought of actually Jesus saying to pray for these people can honestly have us just scratching our heads a little bit and thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? This just doesn't make sense. When we think of enemies, we think both large scale and smaller scale. If you had a look in the newspaper or you saw on the news this weekend, uh, what about those pirates in uh, Somalia that actually went and hijacked a yacht had four American people on it and they travel around the world and they distribute Bibles to people in countries uh, that don't have the word of God. And their yacht got hijacked and these four Americans have been taken hostage and held hostage for, you know, however much uh, money that these pirates are going to demand. Maybe you heard, I come from Melbourne originally. And down in Melbourne yesterday, there was a 29-year-old guy and a 30-year-old guy and they were having this big blue uh, at the flat where they lived Uh, turned into a fight because of a car parking space. And guess what? Both of them ended up being stabbed to death. Both ended up dead. One 29-year-old guy, another a a 30-year-old guy, enemies over a car park. And they ended up having a blue and ended up dead on the concrete. That's just not right. Whenever I go to the airport, I'm reminded of all the media attention given to the uh, the war on terror, suicide bombers and all that kind of stuff. Now, the people who perpetrate these acts, are they my enemies? Are they your enemies? Maybe they are. And I'm reminded of it because of all the security I have to go through just to get on a plane to go and visit my family or my friends. You almost have to take all your clothes off, uh, shoes, jackets, clothing, belts, you name it. You've got to get it off to go through the scanners and the x-rays and then there might be a, a, a an explosive swatch test as well, just to make sure you haven't got any explosives residue on your hands or on your clothes or inside your bag. We live in fear of our enemies. I'm reminded by all the announcements not to leave leave your bags hanging around just in case someone actually flogs them, takes them off you. They've got these fancy bags that go over the top and they scoop up the bag and they run away with your stuff. Or even worse, what if 
they put something illegal in your bag and you end up in prison. Now, I'm a bit of a people watcher, but the more I go to airports, the more I see how tense people are. They're actually a bit frightened of what might happen to them at airports and if you're a people watcher, you'll see it too. Now, last week's verses that we looked at, and you weren't here for that, but we looked at hatred and murder. This week, we're being challenged to look at the world through a different lens, to be Christians who live as surprising and creative people in hostile scenarios, both on the world stage and right down to your most intimate relationships in your life. Maybe that's with each other or people beyond these walls as well. What this passage doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean, is that Christians have to be holy doormats for other people to wipe their feet on. It doesn't mean that. What this passage doesn't mean is that you can't defend yourself when people act violently towards you. It doesn't mean that. That's not what this text is about. When this text talks about being slapped, it's talking about a backhanded slap. If I had someone standing in front of me and uh, to hit them in the right cheek, I can't punch them. It actually doesn't work. It's talking about a slap. And what that slap is about, it's an insult. And maybe that insult will escalate to further violence, but it's not saying that Christians can't defend themselves when someone is being violent towards them. It doesn't mean that Christians have to be uh, doormats for people to wipe their feet on. So I want you to hear that. But at the same time, remember that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is only going to lead to what? A blind and toothless society. That's what it's going to end up with, isn't it? And so we need to get a little bit more creative than simply biting people back when we feel hurt. It's boring and it's predictable. It's boring and it's predictable. More than this, wouldn't it be great to surprise people, to catch them off guard, so that we can take a new and a fresh approach uh, as disciples and followers of Jesus? So I wonder who your enemies are. When you think about who your enemies are, it's probably some things flowing into your mind's, mind's eye right now. Maybe some names, maybe some people's names, maybe names of Lutheran people, maybe pastors, hopefully not my name, uh, people from school, old friends, no longer friends, but now they're bitter rivals. Could they be family members? For, old, for the older people, you know, husbands and wives, ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends, people who live next door, down the street, over the back fence. It could be anyone. And don't forget in all of this about Satan, the devil, because he's the one behind every evil act and desire who wants you to believe that people are actually your enemies and that you cannot be reconciled with other people, which is a lie. Don't be sold that lie. And so while an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth might sound appealing sometimes, this is one widely misapplied part of Scripture. It's one part of the Bible that people get wrong a lot. And so let's clarify some stuff. Because when we feel hurt or angered by someone, we want justice. We want justice when we're hurt. God knows all about justice. But in our anger, what we might see as justice can get a little bit out of skew. At times we see it played out in those sad news stories where two men become enemies over a car park and stab each other to death. That's out of hand. You might hear of bikey gangs, contract killings. And that was exactly the point of God saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in the Old Testament. What it did was it added to restrict, unrestrained vengeance like we see on the news. 
It actually became fair. So if a person was injured, a judge, not you, not me, not the person who's injured, a judge would decide what a fair penalty was, what fair compensation would be for the injury that you'd received. Otherwise, a broken finger, someone might get really upset about that and go and kill someone. It just doesn't make sense. So God had that uh, law in there for a reason. The second point of clarification that we need is in verse 43 where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate, hate your enemy. And we could read that out of context and think, the Bible says it's okay to hate my enemy, so I can go ahead and do that. No, that is not the case. Now, if you, I don't know if anyone bought a Bible. I don't, don't know if uh, Lutherans often bring Bibles to church, but if you were brave and you had your Bible with you or in church, then uh, look it up and tell me where you find it, that uh, it's okay to hate your enemy. Because guess what? I can't find it. I've searched the Scriptures, I've searched the Old Testament and I can't find it. And then finally I found out there's a reason for that because it's not even in there. It's not even in there. Jesus said, uh, you've, heard that, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy and that's because that's what the religious leaders were selling the people at the time uh, that this uh, verse was written when Jesus was. It was the religious leaders selling a bill of goods to the people uh, and they were believing it, they were swallowing it but it's not true. Here's what Leviticus 19.18 actually says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. What I'm saying is we're not called to hate or vengeance, even towards those people that we really struggle with. What Jesus is saying today, he's making a point that any kind of personal revenge that you might be seeking against anyone has been taken out of your hands. And that means our physical hands and our intellectual hands, that is our thought life, when we hate people and when we want to see them hurt in our mind's eye. We might not express it in our words, but we think it. He's saying, no, that's not. Instead, he's saying, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. That is creative and surprising Christianity because people, and I don't know about you, but if you've got an enemy, you expect them to escalate things. You expect them to uh, get more violent in their words and maybe even lash out at you. Instead, what it's saying is you give them a sandwich and a cup of coffee or give them a drink of your drink and you can be guaranteed they're going to be surprised when you actually don't come back and bite back at them but actually do something completely surprising. It may even disarm them. It may even calm things down when you're in the heat of a moment. When I first started studying um, a long time ago, there was a person in my class that I really, really struggled with. We had lots of arguments and I avoided that person and I tried to avoid them as much as I could because I knew if there was a confrontation, it was going to get ugly. I just knew it wouldn't go well. God in his wisdom, he had a better idea, a creative idea and it surprised me and I'll tell you what, it caught me off guard because the more and more I really tried hard to avoid this person, the more that person just wanted to be my friend and hang out with me. In fact, I couldn't get away from them. Whenever I turned around, he was there smiling at me and and he just wanted to spend time with me and it was so hard. 
And eventually, and I'm telling you, it took about a year or more, I invited him over to my house for a coffee. And we ended up becoming very close friends. Even to this day, we are best mates. I didn't think it was possible, but that is the God that we worship. That is a creative and surprising God that can surprise us in every facet of our lives, even when we don't think it's possible or we don't think that it's possible that we might be friends with that other person who we see as an enemy. So where does the rubber hit the road for you today? How, does, how do we act as surprising and creative Christians? Where does the surprise come from? How can we be creative people when we're faced with potential enemies? How does this make sense? Well, Jesus says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not only does Jesus give you the how and the source of your creativity, he also gives you the motivation to get it done. Jesus teaches us to pray for our enemies and that's not uh, something that we're good at or even something we think about doing a lot of the time but it's something that Jesus modelled for us, didn't he? If you look at the cross up there, the crucifix with Jesus on it, a friend of mine saw that and he said, Vaughan, that is just so confronting for me. And it is confronting because do you remember the prayer Jesus prayed when he was on the cross? When his accusers hurled charges at him, uh, he didn't respond in self-defence. When they struck him, he didn't strike back, did he? Instead he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And today I want you to know that that prayer is for you and me, for us collectively, as much as it was for the people standing there in those Bible times looking up at Jesus hanging on the cross. That prayer is for us. It's for you and me whose sin separates us from God. And here is the beauty of the Gospel, that even though we've lived as though God didn't matter, even as God's enemies, the Bible says, St Paul encourages us with these words, you see, at just the right time, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's an amazing text. When we see things from God's perspective, we can see just how creative and surprising the gift of Jesus hanging on the cross really is in your life and in my life. God's love in Jesus knew no bounds, even for his enemies. In fact, God's love transformed enemies into disciples and children of God. That's our story. That's the story of the baptised. And what a gift that is. Now, as for the motivation Jesus gives us, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Ever wanted to feel closer to God? Well, Sermon on the Mount started with a promise 
to God's creative and surprising people. In the Bible, those creative and surprising people are called peacemakers. That's what he calls them. And that promise was that peacemakers will be called the children of God. Now, as we live as creative and surprising people in conflict, we come to experience our Heavenly Father in an especially intimate way, being God's close sons and daughters, the children, the family of God. We become in our experience of life what we are in fact through our baptism, members of God's family. And this, friends, is a privilege and an honour. Our motivation then is exactly the promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now that truly, honestly, makes a difference in the way we relate to each other. Instead of revenge, we pray for our persecutors. Rather than getting even with those who have wronged us, we love because God first loved us, expressed through the cross of Christ that you stare at, that confronting image of the crucifix at the front of the church. In Christ, the only getting even we do is getting even through love. It's not about an eye for an eye. It's not about payback. It's not about revenge. That's not how the close children of God journey through this life. So the easy response is to always bite back. It's always to escalate things, to be boring and predictable. That's what that is. To be a disciple is to be creative in tough, in tough situations, prayerfully bringing our enemies on the world scale and in your most intimate relationships to God, asking what they can't ask for themselves. What do you think that might be? What, what can't our enemies ask for themselves? For peace with God and for peace with each other. For peace in their vertical relationships between themselves and their Heavenly Father and peace on the horizontal plane as well with each other. That's our relationships with each other as the body of Christ. And You never know, just like me, they might end up your best friend. It could happen. So may our creative God who formed the heavens, this earth and all the people who live in it give you creativity in conflict this week and surprise you. May God surprise you as you walk in his amazing love. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.